This is Global Marxism. I am Frank Goss. I appreciate your participation and hope this information provides you with food for thought as we consider the confusion we're facing in America today. Most of us have no idea what Marxism actually is. We need to define terms, not according to our opinions, but based on proven fact. Our politicians are telling us, you're as free as we say you are. Now, how can this even be possible? Let's back up and consider our history. Let's look and see what is meant when Barack Obama said that he wanted to fundamentally change America. Let's see if these things are indeed remotely possible. A lot of what we see happening here in America is an attempt to control the narrative, control what you hear. And so if they control what you hear, to a great extent, they'll control what you understand in your mind. If they do that, if they gain that, then they are able to really control the culture. And that is a very, very dangerous thing, but it's something that had been done for many, many, many years. John Rockefeller, a lot of people don't realize this, John Rockefeller was a very, very aggressive robber baron, and he was one of the richest men in the world during his day. In order to control how the people considered him, he controlled all the newspapers. He literally bought the majority of newspapers that were in existence during his time. So he controlled the flow of information. And if you do that, then you control the culture. People finally started seeing the reality. Didn't matter what they had heard. They're now seeing reality. And eventually the robber barons were put under control by the government. Now, what we're seeing right now is a real rise in the interest of Marxism. People may say, oh, this is a new phenomenon. I would say, no, it's not. The true colors are shining through. The devil knows his time is limited. And they are making an all-out push to force Marxism into our society. And it is not something new. It has been around for the past 125 years. And there are many, many Marxist thinkers who abound. Now, a true Marxist thinker, and not just a kid sitting in a college sociology class listening to the bloviations of some uh, pompous, arrogant professor, a true Marxist has a real understanding of Marxist theory. And he believes with all sincerity that the revolutionary tool that will be used to deconstruct society as well as build back better is theory. It's the revolution, and it's the culture that needs to be changed. They're not going to aim at an all-out war. It won't work in the West. They've already seen this and admitted it. But their goal is to destroy the culture that we've developed, and it's more than just a bumper sticker on the back of some old worn-out Volkswagen, but it's a real effort to deconstruct society. Karl Marx, Gramsci, and our modern-day Derek Bell all hold to this idea. It is an idea that needs to be preached. People have to grab hold of the theory. So we have to change the mindset of the American individuals. How do you do that? Through a constant repetition of repeated lies. These guys know very well the ideas have consequences. And that ideas repeatedly suggested are most often to be passively accepted. The mindless muddled masses follow along like sheep and they don't even realize it. If it is said on the television, on one of the opinion-based news services, like ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, or Fox, night after night after night, they begin to believe. 
and to discuss. They go to work and they talk to their coworkers and they say, hey, man, did you hear about 1619? So they're biting off into it. Marxism is fundamentally a religious concept. And people don't like to, to hear that. They say, no, it's all primarily about economics. Well, that's wrong. That's not true. The economic idea, the dialectic that is presented by Karl Marx is based on a cultural acceptance of certain principles. Now, as a religion, it does not hold to natural law or civil society, God, or inherent evil of man, or even the proposition that man is fundamentally good. Satan is their inspiration. Yes, he is. He inspired such men as Nicolai Burkhardt, who was a committed Marxist and a very, very violent Satanist, who declared Satan, and I'm quoting, Satan is the first free thinker and the savior of the world. He freed Adam and impresses the seal of humanity and liberty on his forehead by making him disobedient. Now, this guy was an adjunct to Vladimir Lenin and a very, very ardent Marxist. Man's origin? Well, according to the Marxist religion, man bubbled up from the primordial mud. Conservative thinking is foreign to the twisted Marxist mind. Christianity is despised and must be eliminated. The words of Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto were written by a man who was incredibly gifted as a writer and an author, and that can't be denied. However, the inspiring voice within the heart and the mind was articulated in echoes of Satan himself, the deceiver, the father of lies, the master of evil. Sound-minded individuals, true Christian, decent society seeks peace. Let me live and I'll let you live. Well, the Marxist... No, it's always about the revolution. Always. The liberal leftist mind is bent towards chaos and anarchy. Marx disparaged capitalism and rejected peace outright. It's all about the revolution. Now, why am I saying all this? Because if you control the narrative, then you control the culture. And what we have to understand is who's creating and who's controlling the narrative. Once you understand the character of the people trying to control the narrative, then you can understand their true intentions, that their thoughts are not for your well-being. They are not for your good. They are not for the good of our nation, your neighbors, your community. And then, then you can put a stop to this. One man wrote these words. Words I teach all mixed up into devilish muddle. Thus, anyone may think just what he chooses to think. With disdain, I will throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant whose fall will not stifle my ardor. Then I will wander godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world, giving my words an active force. I will feel equal to the creator. The man also wrote this. My object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Another thing he said was keep people from their history and they're easily controlled. Also, we have no compassion, and we ask no compassion from you. When our turn comes, we shall not make excuses for the terror. When the sufferers learn to think, then the thinkers will learn to suffer. There are, besides eternal truths such as freedom, etc., that are common to all states of society. But communism abolishes eternal truth. It abolishes all religion and all morality. Instead of constituting them on a new basis, it therefore acts in contradiction to all past historical experience. 
He went on to keep writing and he said a heavy or progressive or graduated income tax is necessary for the proper development of communism. And this was fulfilled by Woodrow Wilson, by the way, in the year 1916. The first requisite of the happiness of the people is the abolition of religion. This man also stood and said as he beat his chest, I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. There is no greater stupidity than for people to marry and so surrender themselves to the small miseries of domestic and private life. Again, he said, in this sense, the theory of communism may be summed up in the single sentence, abolition of private property. And he concludes by saying, we will hang the capitalist with the rope that they sell us. Boy, that, now whoever wrote these things is, has a pretty demented and evil and wicked mind, and a very dark outlook on the world. These things were inspired by Satan himself, but they were pinned by Karl Marx. The narrative regarding Karl Marx has been perverted, and people want to look at him as one of the most admired philosophers in the past 1,000 years. They're exalting this man. It reminds me of a classic argument way back in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. Pilate was wanting to let Jesus go free, and he put it before the people and said, who do you want? And it was, at, it was a custom at that time to let one man go free. Well, they had in their midst a man who was a murderer and an insurrectionist. His name was Barabbas, and he was proven to be guilty. And then they had Jesus, Jesus Christ. The leaders of the Jews, the religious people of that day, began to get a rally going among the people, and they had the people cry out, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Today, the professors in our universities, the system of education in our public schools, has our young people crying out, give us Marxism, give us socialism, give us these chains that we can hook them around our feet. Karl Marx, a lot of people don't realize, loved money as few men have. But the odd thing is that he literally refused to work. He would not hold a job. Dialectical materialism, a core of Marxist teaching, essentially is an argument concerning the conflict caused by material needs. The rich elitists have it. All the poor and middle class are being abused because of their lack of it. The government needs it in order to redistribute it as it sees fit. And of course, the it is money. The rich get richer and the poor and the middle class, well, we just have to move into social Darwinism now and understand the strong swallow up the weak. Capitalism allows too many people to have too much. Karl Marx had a problem with money. He saw his father had earned a great sum of money and had given him lavishly during his youth, but when he died, the money stopped. He wanted more money. Marxism allows only the most favored few to have it. The proletariat will get what is predetermined by the ones who have it. Marx and Engels, of course, were at the top of the heap, the leaders among the elite. And it's funny how things evolve, isn't it? Neither had ever sullied their hands working with the common man. They did not understand the man in the street. They could have cared less. They were arrogant dreamers, claiming to know the motivations and tribulations, even the aspirations of the working man. You would never have seen either of these two standing in line at Walmart or visiting Goodwill for affordable clothing. No. You may have found Jenny Marx, the wife of Karl Marx, searching for a good deal, but not Karl. Oh, no, it was far beneath him. 
Karl Marx was an indolent rapscallion, a filthy man, and worse than an infidel. He even refused to bathe himself, a fact that caused him to suffer from boils and carbuncles on his unexercised backside. He was a spoiled, pampered bourgeoisie, and he managed to avoid military service. He spent time in jail during his youth. He was a consummate drunkard, and he had no clue as to the plight of the workers that he pretended to champion. He was known to have an ability to suck the joy out of any room that he walked into and out of any situation, and he was able to discourage every person he met. He was a man filled with hate. His father asked him if he had taken the Faustian bait. He sincerely loathed the poor. He hated the blacks, was an incredible racist. And he saw them all as a blight on society. He didn't care for his wife, nor his children. Of four sons born to Jenny, none survived to adulthood. One son, at the age of eight, died in the arms of Karl Marx due to his refusal to, to provide medical care for the child. He died of neglect, not due to the hard and cold heart of the wretched capitalist society, like Marx and his followers would have us believe. No, they died from neglect from Karl Marx's methods. But money? Oh, Marx was after the money. But not earned income. No, he was after the wealth of others. His father paid his way up until he, his death, and then 20-year-old Karl Marx found himself too preoccupied to attend his father's funeral, the man who had paid his way to a very comfortable life. After the death of his father, he leaned on his mother financially, and his mother gave and gave and gave, and literally kept note, you know, IOUs that, of course, Marx promised to pay but never did. At one point in his life, his mother just tore up all the IOUs and forgave Marx all of his debt. And he went back and told his buddy, Friedrich Engels, the old bat tore up my debts. At least I got that out of her. Jenny would lend him large sums of money, and upon her death, he made away with all of her savings, which he eventually fretted away on drink and other excesses. He did not use the money to support his family. He chose to live shabbily. He allowed his wife and his children to live impoverished. He relied on his wife's effort, however, to bring in money, buy the food, and pay the bills. If she didn't do it, they'd be out in the street. Eventually, he connected with a man named Frederick Ingalls, who was the son of a wealthy industrialist. He also was a bourgeoisie. He also would never work. It was Ingalls who began to provide financially for Marx at that time. Marx simply refused to work. His loyalist point to the fact that creativity requires time and freedom from the normal menial task of the average man. It's the capitalist societies that stifle such efforts. Men in capitalistic worlds are often so busy and occupied with corporations and the gathering of money, they forget the natural plight of the working man and the natural needs of creativity. Marx needed to be free from the menial tasks of work. Somebody should have told these things to several other men in history. They might have had a greater impact. Men such as Abraham Lincoln, who spent his time splitting logs, or learning how to read by a candle, and riding on the bark of a tree. Or maybe George Washington, while he was surveying land, which was an arduous task requiring a lot of time and a lot of physical demands. Maybe Andrew Jackson or Dwight Eisenhower should never have been serving as a soldier. Just think of all the effort and the constant stress they were under. Their, their creativity was stifled in such a way. Can you see the injury and suffering that they were exposed to? It only served to damage their thinking and their creativity. It's stifled in ways that we can't understand, we can't imagine. You see what capitalism has done? You see the American ruin? 
We've only lived in the greatest nation in the history of mankind. Karl Marx obviously didn't agree with these things. The adherents of any political philosophy are, bl- are blinded by ideological belief that's commingled with fact. They follow a fictional narrative that's written and read by the author, not truth declared by the realities of life. That is why I say, if you can control the narrative, the fictional aspects, you can control the culture. Now, it's beyond doubt that Karl Marx was a powerful and a very influential man. His ideas, many believe, originated in hell itself and were inspired by Satan himself. In Southern vernacular, Karl Marx was a good-for-nothing lech, lazier than an old uh, porch-ridden, gunshot mountain cur, and evil is too gentle a word to describe his mind. If you wish to follow his ideology, if you welcome the chains and the shackles of wickedness and all that it brings upon humanity, this is the man to follow. And if you choose to reject the American ideal, a constitutional republic and a free market economy, this is the guy to follow. If lies don't bother you, and despotism suits you, and a murderous philosophy inspires you, this is the man to follow. And if you choose to follow a man, any man, this is where it all will eventually lead you, into bondage. But as for me and my house, we made our decision a long time ago. We will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will hold tightly to our God. And yes, we have guns. And we will trust God to give us strength and to stand against this wickedness. He'll give us grace to understand and experience his infinite goodness and love towards all men. Joshua, the leader of Israel, spoke to his people and said, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Cast aside the gods of your father, the ones that you served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if it's unpleasing in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And me, personally, I invite you to come and serve him with me. Frank Doss with Vintage Broadcasting. We do appreciate your participation in listening to our broadcast. We hope that it benefits you in some way and that you'll continue listening in the days to come.